We are uh, continuing our series, actually going to finish up our series that's just entitled The Arrival. And, uh, and we've been talking about the, the arrival is just the meaning of the word Advent, and it's a season that's often celebrated in the church world. And today we're going to be finishing it up by just talking about forms and shadows. And I know that sounds like a really weird title for a Christmas message, but it'll make more sense a little bit later on. I want to say this. This is probably going to be the shortest message that I've ever, that I preached all year long, and so that's my Christmas gift to you. So don't say I didn't give you anything. But uh, you know, I I love this time of year. I do. It, it now it seems to be starting earlier and earlier and earlier. But uh, but I love this time of year. There there are some things about this time of year that stir up this nostalgia in our minds. You know, I'm I'm 58 years old, but I still remember Christmas as a child. I remember uh, all of those things. I loved all of the lights and the Christmas music and the excitement. And, and I don't know, maybe your household was like mine. Were, were anybody, any of you told that if you were still awake when Santa came by, then he wasn't going to stop at your house? Did that happen? Yeah, that's where our neuroticism first showed up right there. You know, because, I mean, you had to get up there and try to go to bed and try to make yourself go to sleep despite the fact that you're very, very, very excited. Uh, there's just something magical about the tree and all the presents and all the different things that are going on. But then I found, you know, that as you get a little bit older, some of that magic just kind of wanes. You know, by the time you're 18 or 19, you probably know exactly what you're getting because you probably picked it out. And, and then, you know, you become, uh, you, you become an adult and it's just another part of the year and it's fun and that sort of thing. But then if you become a parent... Uh, and, you, and, and you're a parent of small children, uh, life just sort of comes full circle again because some of that magic just comes back. As you, you know, I mean, I remember there are things I learned as a dad. I, 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 after I became a dad, I finally completely understand, understood why my parents needed us in bed by 8.30 on Christmas Eve. <laughs> you know, now I understand the game now. There are things to put together. There's stuff to do. And listen, the thing is, whether you're religious or not, you have to admit that there's something that shifts in our culture at this time of year. I know of nothing else like it. It doesn't matter what genre of music you like, whether you listen to folk or rap or hip hop or rock and roll or easy uh, listening or country or pop or what doesn't make any difference because this time of year everybody's programming shifts on the radio. Either the station's regular programming is just completely thrown out the window and they play nothing but Christmas music or they sprinkle in Christmas music into whatever music they normally play. Not only that, all of a sudden, the landscape changes. There are lights on houses and there are fake deer in everybody's yards and there are all sorts of things that occur, that, uh, that occur no other time of year. Now, I will say in terms of yard decorating, Halloween's kind of sneaking up on that. And that's troublesome to me, not as a pastor, but as a human being, but I won't go there. Even the food we eat changes. There's a shift there. I mean, all of a sudden, we're eating food that you don't eat at any other time of the year, right? I mean, nobody on Thursday night goes, candied yams, that's what we're going to have tonight. You know, we're going to get some yams and put marshmallows on them. Nobody says green bean casserole, you know. Nobody says, hey, it's Tuesday, we're smoking a ham, right? It just doesn't happen. There, there are certain things we eat this time of year that throughout the rest of the year, we probably don't even get near them. And so 
you have the presents and the trees and the yards decorated and the food and the music. And that just makes us all nostalgic. You have all of these things that start happening. It's one of the really one of the weirdest shifts culturally that we have. And I, and I love every bit of it. <coughs> I, 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 I love all of it. I really do. I like, I like getting presents and I like giving presents. And I know you're supposed to say it the other way around, but, you know, to, to be a good Christian thing. But, but I think I said what I said. Um, I, I, I enjoy both of those, the joy of giving and the joy of receiving. And you just have all of these really cool things that are happening. However, here's my fear, and this is sort of what we've been talking about the last three weeks. My, my fear, and it's, not, it's really not just a Christmas fear, to be honest with you. My fear is that for all the tinsel on, in the trees, for all the presents, for all the pomp, for all the lights and the family coming in and the food to be eaten, for all the stuff that we have going on, for all the shadows that we have that are there, if we're not careful, we'll miss the form that casts the shadow. And, it, and if you see the shadows, but you miss the form, then when everything is said and done, you have nothing truly meaningful or substantial. On Christmas afternoon, you'll have more trash than usual. You'll have a little bit more debt than normal. You'll have a little more uh, a dirtier house than normal. And be, but besides that, you'll have nothing meaningful or substantial. If you empty Christmas of depth and stay on the surface... I think what happens is you, you suck the life right out of it. In Colossians chapter 1, it says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He's talking about Jesus, by the way. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And then look at verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's a really incredible statement. All the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus. Now, the reason we have to unpack this uh, some this morning is because that, that is absolutely an unbelievable statement that all the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. This little baby that we celebrate on Christmas morning. It, it's amazing because the book of Job tells us that, that all of creation is, is but the fringes of his power. Everything that you can see from the stars to the Grand Canyon, from the mountains to the oceans, they're all but a sliver of the majesty and the glory of God. I mean... Have, have you ever stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon and just stood there in the immensity of it and just sucks the breath out of you? No, no one feels strong in that moment. Nobody stands on the edge of the Grand Canyon and starts bragging and starts saying, you know, I can bench press 250 pounds. No, nobody does. I, I don't know if you've ever stood at the, at the, the foot of Pice, Pike's Peak. I, I don't know if you've ever been at the ocean when there were giant 20-foot swells crashing into the shore. I don't know if you've ever been there, but, but all of that, the might of, 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 of it all, the size of it all, the majesty of it all, according to the Scriptures, is fringes, nothing, tiny, unworthy to be compared. But the Scriptures say 
that all of the fullness of the majesty of God dwelt in Christ, in Jesus, in this baby. Now, we know that there are moments in Scripture where God pulls back that veil. Like at the, at the transfiguration, Jesus takes three of his disciples up on the side of a mountain, and, and while they're up there, God pulls the veil back. It says that when God pulled the veil back, and the, the, this veil that, uh, uh, that, that hides who he is, that, 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 that hides his greatness, his glory, God pulls that veil back, and God says on the, and the Bible says on the Mount of Transfiguration when he did that, that Jesus shone as bright as the sun. Then in the book of Revelation, it uses very similar wording. The book of Revelation says that Jesus' face shines like the sun at full strength. Let me ask you a question. I don't, know how many, I don't know how many of you are morning people, but have you ever been up early enough and you've watched the sun rise? You ever, you ever done that? Yeah, I just figure this. If, if God wanted me to watch the sun rise, he'd have made it at noon. But that's just my theory. Uh, but, uh, but here's what happens. I've seen it a few times. The first thing that you see is this little bit of light outside. It just starts getting lighter, a little bit lighter. And then sometimes it just sort of goes pink all over the place. And then pink gives way to this sort of pinkish orange. And then the, then the pink is gone and it's, it's just orange. And now the next thing you see is basically like this little sliver of, of fire on the horizon. And within just a few minutes of first seeing that, you're going to have to look away because if you don't, your eyes are going to hurt. Even at 7 or 7.30 in the morning, not even at full power, not even at full heat, not even at full strength, but it's already too much. And this is the picture that scriptures are, are, <clears throat> the Scripture is trying to get across to us about the size and the, the scope and, <clears throat> excuse me, and the power of Jesus. You, you see it a few times in the New Testament. When he does things like when he commands the wind and the rain, he speaks to the wind and the rain, and, and the wind and the rain obeys him. And, and, or, or when he curses a fig tree and it shrivels up and, and dies the next day. Or, or when he walks up to a little girl who's been dead for a day, and he just speaks to the girl and says, get up, and she listens to him. In each one of those instances, People sort of just stop walking as close to him. They, they give him a little distance because it's a little awe-inspiring, a little frightening. But you see the majesty, the, the might, the glory, and the power of God fully in Jesus. But here, we know that. We, we've talked about that before. We get that. But this is the, where it gets really, really interesting. Because, I don't know if you've noticed it, but powerful people often struggle with gentleness. Powerful people often struggle with gentleness. But in Jesus, you have the fullness of the majesty and the power of God dwelling. But you also have perfect gentleness, humility, meekness, forgiveness, and love. Matthew chapter 12, verse 18 says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit on him and he will pray, proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. So this immense 
powerful, majestic Jesus would not break off a bruised reed, but instead he would hold that bruised reed gently in his hand until it's healthy. He wouldn't snuff out a wick that is smoldering, but he would cup his hand around that and lightly blow on it until it is reignited. He, here's the enigma. Here's what's so hard for us to get our minds around. Jesus has absolute sovereignty over heaven and earth, absolute sovereignty over all of creation, and yet he also has complete obedience. Infinite majesty and infinite meekness. Majesty and mercy in the very same space. Now listen, this is the gospel. Jesus is ultimate reality. He stands behind all things, in all things, and all things exist through him. We just read that in, in Colossians. And it all boils down to this one thing. And this is where the title makes sense. Jesus is the form that casts all shadows. Jesus is the form that casts all shadows. If you can get that, then you have weight and depth and beauty but at Christmas time. But if you don't get that, then you get a sweater, but you have nothing meaningful or substantial. I'll give you an example. Uh, and everybody with small children, you'll, you'll relate with this. Uh, or, or if you have children at all, you'll remember when your kids were little. I remember when my daughters were, were little, Christmas morning would come and, and, and they would just you know, they would open all their presents. They were ready to just rip into it. And, and we, didn't, we didn't let them just rip everything open because we wanted to get pictures and stuff. So we'd, we'd make them wait. It would drive them crazy having to wait. But, but uh, anyway, we, they would open all the presents. And there was this, this unbelievable euphoria that would fill our home. And every parent of children, you know that joy that comes when the kids are opening their presents. But here's what happened. Then about two hours later came the crash. Some of you are nodding your head and saying, you know what I'm talking about, because we would find one of them like behind the couch, you know, clutching a toy with paper all over her and she would just crash. It would just be done. There's this euphoria that comes with presents. And so here's what I know. Christmas morning is coming up this Saturday. Christmas morning, it's going to be a pretty cool scene. It's going to be amazing. You'll, you'll read the Christmas story and do some traditions that you do. And, and then your kids are going to rip into those presents, man. And it's going to be a really cool scene. I know that. I'm sure of that. But here's, here's what's going to happen. If that's all you see, if all you see is the joy of your children, that's a pretty good morning. That's not a bad day, right? That's a pretty good morning. If all you see is the joy of being a giver and the joy of receiving, that's a pretty good morning. But, but what if, what if in the middle of all of that joy, you were suddenly reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 7, where he says, if you then who are evil, you who have serious issues, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask you? You see, now all of a sudden, in that moment, it's more than a Christmas Barbie or a, or a Tonka truck or a new sweater. Or it's more than tree, the Christmas tree and presents. Now all of a sudden, all of a sudden there's something deeper. There, there's something divine in that moment in the room. And all of a sudden, something ordinary becomes spiritual and vital and, and extraordinary uh, because we're beginning to see that this giving and this joy is a shadow that's cast by the form 
of the gift of Jesus? Or what if, as we're sitting around the table and we're eating great food and enjoying that moment together, what if instead of just eating green bean casserole and turkey, or at our house, we're going to have a, we're going to have a pork loin with cranberry orange sauce. That's our tradition. It's really good. I'm just going to tell you, it's really good. But what if you're sitting around eating and you remember that the book of Ecclesiastes teaches us that a good meal is practice for heaven. Now all of a sudden it goes well beyond turkey. It goes well beyond green bean casserole and, and pumpkin pie. And, and, and we have depth and beauty in the moment. And, and listen, this is not just a Christmas thing. Because Christ is everywhere for those who have eyes to see. All through the year. In all those moments of joy. And all those moments of where, where we're overwhelmed with love or compassion. It's all a shadow being cast by Christ. It all points back to Him. But you know, the thing about Christmas is if, if there's not something bigger behind Christmas then honestly, this is the weirdest thing I could have ever imagined, right? If there's not something bigger behind this Christmas, then it is, isn't it strange that we put like fake trees and lights on our platform if there's not something bigger behind all this? It, it, it just, if there's not something behind this, then we just need to slow down and, and think to ourselves, I just put together a fake tree in my house. You think, isn't that weird? If there's not something bigger behind Christmas or, or I just cut down a real tree and dragged it into my house and threw lights on it, you know, or, or I buy my kids stuff all the time, but for whatever reason, I just freaked out and bought the store or maybe I just risked my life to hang lights on a house or there is a fake reindeer in my yard. If there's not something bigger behind this, this is just weird. Right? We have to come to grips with a lot of weird stuff if there's not something more meaningful behind all of this. Good news is, there is. There is. And I'm not... Listen, this message, I'm not rail, railing against commun, com, consumerism or anything like that. I mean, I hope you get some really great stuff. You know? I, I'm, I am telling you, though, that, that there's deeper water in which we can swim. And this is my hope for you. And listen, I, I'm not naive. I know some of you are going... Well, that's a really pretty picture you're painting up there, Pastor. But the truth is, my family is coming and it's going to be explosive. It's likely to be downright dangerous. The truth is, Pastor, some of those people are only coming to my house because I love my mother. If I didn't love my mother, I wouldn't let those fools in my house. And some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. But can I be very honest with you today? Think about this. If ever the gospel of Jesus Christ makes sense, it's at that table where you can serve and love and encourage those who may have never done anything but harm you. Now the world would say, 
Let's fight. Let's be angry. Get your jab in. Let's, let's give, him, give him some payback. But the gospel says, no, 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 no. Serve. Love. Give. Forgive. And now all of a sudden we have depth around something that was once volatile. Now we have God lingering long after the presents are opened. And you know, here's the thing, over and over again, you'll read in the scriptures and the gospels, Jesus will tell a story and, and then he says something along the lines, he'll say something like, he who has an ear to hear, uh, let him hear. He who has eyes, let him see. And, and this is my hope for you, that we might be able to just see him. See him in the presence. See him in the tree. See him in the tinsel. See him in the pomp. See him in the dinner. See him in the leftovers later that night. See him the next day when you're returning your, your uh, broken gifts at the store. See him later that week in the after Christmas sales. See him in the car when you're driving. See him on the radio and the music that's being played. See him. See him so that you might drink deeply of him. If you only see the shadows but never see Jesus, then all of the weight and all of the glory of Christmas is gone. And all you have left is an empty, meaningless shell of a holiday. Let's open our eyes. Let's see him. He is with us. Watch this video. the meaning of that name, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, it is wisdom's mystery, God with us. Sages look at it and wonder. Angels desire to see it. The plumb line of reason cannot reach halfway into its depths. The eagle wings of science cannot fly so high, and the piercing eye of the vulture of research cannot see it. God with us. It is hell's terror. Satan trembles at the sound of it. His legions fly apace. The black-winged dragon of the pit quails before it. Let Satan come to you suddenly, and do you but whisper the word, God with us, and back he falls, confounded and confused. Satan trembles when he hears that name. God with us. It is the laborer's strength. How could he preach the gospel? How could he bend his knees in prayer? How could the missionary go into foreign lands? How could the martyr stand at the stake? How could the confessor acknowledge his master? How could men labor if that one word were taken away? God with us is the sufferer's comfort, is the balm of his woe, is the alleviation of his misery is the sleep that God gives to his beloved, 
is the rest after exertion and toil. God with us is eternity's sonnet, is heaven's hallelujah, is the shout of the glorified, is the song of the redeemed, is the chorus of angels, and is the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky. God with us. Old Testament prophets and the New Testament witnesses say that on a dark night in the middle of nowhere, all of a sudden, in the, in the, in the middle of darkness, the light was born and it entered the world. And listen, you can be agnostic, you can be an atheist, you can think that we're all crazy for believing what we believe, but here's what you cannot deny. There was a shift in the world that night, unlike anything else we've seen up to this point in history. In the middle of nowhere, a man whose mother was a peasant girl and whose dad was a carpenter who had no, no kind of lineage or power to speak of in the first century was born. He lived his life. He was crucified and, and was resurrected. And within 200 years of the birth of Jesus Christ, almost every urban area of, in Rome had a strong Christian presence. The light spread. And spread, and it spread, and it spread, and it spread, and it continues to spread. There have been all kinds of things that tried to knock it out. Early on in Rome, followers of Christ were thrown to the lions and crucified by the thousands. Governments have tried to hard press the light and have tried to kill it out, and yet it continues to spread. And the scriptures say that it will continue to spread until there is a visible presence among every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and every people group on the planet. It's not going to stop. After 2,000 years, it seems he really was God. And he really knew what he was saying. Today... We're going to end by celebrating that quiet night that started it all by receiving communion together. Some of our brethren are going to come and they're going to distribute the, the elements of communion. And, and uh, it's one of these prepackaged things. And so when you get it, uh, there's, a, there's a clear cellophane tab that you can pull loose out the very top. And that'll get you access to the, to the tablet and uh, they're going to distribute those, and we ask that you just hold on to them and, and, uh, until we can all receive of them together. 
You know, speaking of that night when, that Jesus was betrayed, Luke tells us in, in chapter 22, he said he took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. And then the apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, we're going to read more from there in a moment. He said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we'll be doing. So we receive this. We'll remember the first time he came. He, he, he came, also we'll remember the reason he came. And that is that to give his life as a ransom for many. But we'll also look forward to the next time he comes. That's why we receive it. It looks like just about everyone has been served. Why don't you go ahead and pull that clear cellophane off and get access to the, to the bread that's in there. I've already, we've already got it up here. Thank you. The, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 he wrote this, he, he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and as we receive this bread together in a moment, this is a reminder that what we celebrate at Christmas is not just a birth, but it was the fact that he was born to bear our penalty, to take our sin to the cross. He was born to save us and that required a redemption. He paid the price for us. You know, the, the reason you have a tree in your home is because it's to remind you of the, the tree that, upon which he was slain. It's a reminder of the cross. So would you pray together with me before we receive this together? Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. And Jesus, we thank you that you willingly came and you willingly gave your life. You allowed your body to be broken for us. You took the punishment uh, that we deserved, Lord God. And you, you carried it in your own flesh. So that, and you took our sinfulness upon yourself so that you could give us your righteousness. So God, as we celebrate this Christmas Sunday, we... We don't just celebrate a day. We don't just celebrate a season. We don't celebrate gifts and giving and receiving and all of these things, Lord. We celebrate you, the gift of life that comes because of what you did at the cross. Thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Shall we partake of the bread together? Paul goes on and he writes in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And this is so significant because a covenant was sealed with blood. And a covenant is something that's stronger than a contract. And the, the Jews were living under an old covenant whereby they had to go to the priest and the priest had to go to God on their behalf and they were constantly offering sacrifices for their own sin and, and they were trying to, 
to, to remove their sin. They were trying to do all of these things, but they couldn't go directly to God. They were, they were on the outside looking in, in a sense, even though they were the people of God. And Jesus said, I'm going I'm to seal a new covenant. And this new covenant means that you can have direct access to the Father. You don't, you don't have to offer bulls and lambs anymore. You don't have to do all that because the blood of a perfect sacrifice has now been offered. And now you, can, you are adopted as children and you're in the household of the Father. That's the new covenant. Let's pray and give him thanks for that. Lord, thank you for adopting us. Thank you for the blood that was shed, the blood that cleanses because we know that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And Lord, we stand today in the new covenant as adopted children of God, not because of anything we've done, but because of your blood, Jesus. And we give you thanks. Shall we partake of the cup together? Then Paul ended up, ended that section by, reading, by writing the verse that we read earlier, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we look back and remember. We look where we are now and celebrate. But also, we look forward in anticipation that he is coming again. That's, if anything, should make this Christmas celebration greater than any that we've had before. Because we're a year closer. We're a year closer to his return. And like, the, like John, the, the revelator at the end of the book of Revelation, I join my voice with his and I say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Would you stand together with me? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May you see past the shadows and see the form. May you see Him today as you walk into your house. May you see Him as you drive around and see lights in your neighborhood. May you see Him on Christmas morning as you open presents. And may you see His beauty, depth, and meaning behind everything. This is my prayer for you. You are loved. Merry Christmas to you. Would you bow your head and let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for just a chance to come together and talk about you, and to celebrate you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And I do pray, Lord, that you would enable us to see you and to hear you and that, that you would just allow us to dwell deep, not, not just for the next few days, but every day of this coming year. Help us to see you in all of these things. You've painted pictures of your majesty and glory and love and pictures of who you are all over creation and all over our lives. Lord, give us eyes to see. Help us to see Jesus, the form that casts all the shadows. And I pray, Lord, that as we celebrate this Christmas, that you would help us to sense your nearness your presence and our celebration. And I pray, God, that you would use our lives, our celebration, all of us, Lord God, to shine a light to a world that's walking in darkness. We ask all of these in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.